0: Welcome to another edition of The Roulette Tapes. I'm Susan James. I'll be your host. Singer, musician, and composer improviser Eddie Kwan is our guest, and she'll discuss recent works and major influences, from transgender visibility and Korean shamanism to Japanese buto dance. We'll also hear clips of her recent work from the Roulette Concert Archives. Here's Eddie Kwan.
1: My name is Eddie Kwan, I'm a violinist, violist, vocalist, composer, improviser, and interdisciplinary artist that's based in Brooklyn, New York. I actually started playing violin pretty, pretty late compared to a lot of other violinists, I find, um, so I started taking lessons when I was 10 and I really just picked it up because I have an older sister and she played violin and I really looked up to my sister and so I just kind of said violin on a whim. And since then, starting the violin and playing chamber music and uh, orchestra and having a lot of classical Western European violin training. Simultaneously, I always loved like playing in punk bands and doing all kinds of weird, crazy music. And so for a long time, those paths were parallel and they never really touched or spoke to one another. Um, And it was only when I went to conservatory in Ohio where I started to connect with artists of all different kinds of disciplines, whether it's dancers or visual artists or musicians that uh, were inspired and connected to, to traditions that were very different from what I knew. And it was through meeting those artists and beginning collaborations that I started to kind of expand what I thought was uh, possible for my own work and my own practice as a violinist and then eventually as an improviser and composer. Pretty soon after that, those kind of parallel paths started to merge. And I started playing violin in in lots of different kinds of contexts, in free improvisation, eventually um, studying jazz and and improvised music. And then I started to uh, sing and play and compose for different kinds of ensembles. As that practice grew, another parallel path started to emerge, which was that of movement and dance uh, and ritual and ceremony. As a young person, I didn't really have that many opportunities to explore dance and movement. Most of the kind of physical embodied activities that I was encouraged to do was probably like sports as a young person. But I always kind of knew that I was a dancer, uh, whether or not I, I knew how to dance. So it was only, you know, in my mid to late 20s I discovered through YouTube rabbit holes um, Japanese butoh, And when I saw butoh for the first time, my mind was completely blown because these artists were embodying and becoming these energies and these creatures and these kind of effervescent wisps that I had never seen or experienced before. That really freed my mind and kind of gave me permission to also move my body and to become and allow my myself to be a, a channel or a vessel for different energies. And so as I started to explore dance and movement, mostly in private, that became another parallel path and eventually the, the gravity between these paths became too too intense for them to remain separate and they started to come together really when i moved to new york in 2021 and it was actually through the van Leer fellowship at roulette that i was given an opportunity and time and space and resources to really stretch my practice and to allow this kind of convergence and coming together of these different practices. And so at Roulette, I premiered a solo piece called Ammaya, and that was uh, really my first attempt to bring in music composition and improvisation with dance and movement that was inspired by Butoh, with ritual and ceremony that was inspired by uh, an extraordinary history of queer and trans Korean shamans, as well as my own storytelling from uh, both autobiographical and kind of invented mythological uh, strings. And so, the Roulette Van Leer Fellowship gave me an opportunity to bring all those together in one uh, solo performance. And I really look back to that experience as an incredibly transformative um, inflection point in my life and practice, and it became a kind of like functional magic almost because it was so embodied and the performance itself really it demanded you know 500 percent of my body and spirit and so by the end of each performance of that i i would feel totally transformed and then in the long term that piece which was a story of my own transformation it really, in this kind of magical way, spit me out the other side, a very transformed person. As a composer, performer, and interdisciplinary artist, I'm inspired uh, primarily by this extraordinary but little-known history of trans-Korean shamans that were active during the period of Japanese imperial occupation and American military occupation. And these artists, they were able to use transgressive and ritualistic performance as a way to resist colonial assimilation and sustain their communities, both financially and spiritually. And so because of their unique position within Korean and Japanese uh, society, they were able to access all of these different strata, social and economic strata, and that allowed them to both be kind of Um, Like loved and hated by so many different communities. On the one hand, they were able to access the Japanese occupying uh, elite kind of social society because of their role as entertainers and birth doulas and practitioners of different ceremonies for births and deaths and, and holidays. And on the other hand, uh, to the indigenous Korean community, they were healers and spiritual workers, and and also entertainers. And they engaged with their community through public performances and rites and rituals. And from a Korean nationalist perspective, they were they were kind of holding Korea back from modernization because of their kind of um, adherence to what they thought as backwards and mystical ways, and not embracing enlightenment thinking and science and whatever. So when I think about this extraordinary history where they were both kind of beloved members of their community, but also despised and marginalized. And I look at the experience of queer and trans people throughout history, all around the world. And I see such a distillation of that uh, experience. really complicated, complex experience that you can see today where, on one hand, trans people are fetishized, whether it's in pornography or it's in um, pop culture, and in many ways respected and admired. uh, There are different trans celebrities and musicians and whatever. And then on the other hand, trans people continue to be attacked and assaulted and having their basic rights taken away from them. And when I learned about this extraordinary history of, of trans Korean shamans, it really gave me an opportunity to to connect to lineage and to connect to ancestry in a way that I hadn't before. So as as a queer trans and Korean Korean American, my experience of Family and and ancestry is like, it's pretty complicated, both because of these global forces and histories like colonization and imperialism and war, but also because of these kind of intimate betrayals as well of transphobia and interpersonal violence. And so in my work, I try to create a space in which I can connect to both musical and artistic forms. That were present in you know the late 19th, early 20th century with these trans Korean shamans, and, and try to pay respect and homage to those incredible traditions, while simultaneously filtering and interpreting those same forms and traditions uh, through my own experience as a first-generation Korean American living in New York. So Amaya was a distillation of that attempt, as well as many of my other works, including juni One set and Boy Mother Faceless Bloom that also premiered or performed a, a part at Roulette and also uh, uh, as a part of my upcoming work on May 19th at Roulette as part of my residency. Those doing ritual have the assurance of time. Individual acts of art do not have to depend on permanence of the materials, only the permanence of the soul, world, soul without end. I create peace, peace. Peace. I wipe my hands, my feet, my my body. body. It remains in the fabric of time threading through the millennia, remembered and forgotten a thousand Thousand times times over yet there, seen, Seen, not seen, seen. experienced as part of the air.
0: Performance from 2021, the collaborative ensemble Juni One Set.
1: Yes, Juni One Set, and it has kind of a funny origin because that group uh, consists of uh, myself and Senga Nenguri. Senga is both an iconic and legendary artist and sculptor and performance artist, and also a, a, like a spiritual family member and grandmother to me. Um, she's based in Colorado Springs, and she brought together myself and Crow Shimura and Joshua Cole of Degenerate Art Ensemble that's based in Seattle. And so the four of us worked over the course of three or four years on this piece that was eventually called Boy Mother Faceless Bloom. Junie one set as a name, that was kind of a nod to our cultural backgrounds as well as the kind of long distance quality of our relationship because we're all in different parts of the country so when we would do like zoom calls and stuff or phone calls we would usually meet at 12 o'clock west coast time one o'clock mountain time and three o'clock new york time where i was juni means twelve in Japanese, one is one in English, and set is three in Korean. Um, And so that kind of gives a nod to the both like Japanese and Korean and American backgrounds of, of all of us. Tombstar is a collective of composer improvisers. There's Isabel Crespo Pardo on voice, Leslie Mock on drums, and Zachariah Almagarbel on trombone, and myself on violin. Tombstar first came together in 2021 as part of the Metropolis Ensemble's biophony series, and we performed in a tunnel in Prospect Park uh, for the first time, playing freely improvised music. Many of us had, in that time, just uh, met each other, and myself being pretty new to New York, I was meeting many of those folks for the first time. And now, uh, a couple years later, I think of the three of them as some of my closest friends, as well as some of my favorite artists and improvisers on the planet. For Sunhan Guild, which will have our premiere on May 19th as part of my residency at Roulette, this is a new band that I'm so excited about. It consists of composer-improvisers Laura Cox, Jesse Cox, Lester St. Louis, and Doyan Kim. So with Sunhan Guild, I'm creating a new work in the spiritual lineage of Shinawi, or the ecstatic improvisational music that is in dynamic relationship with Korean shamans during rituals. So similar to the way, for example, like AACM musicians could connect authentically to an artistic lineage without being boxed into an expected aesthetic or genre, I'm interested in creating the conditions for the spirit of Shinawi to emerge while uh, celebrating and amplifying the aesthetic creative and musical identities of each ensemble artist. So what I view my role as as a composer and as a leader of this band is to create the conditions in which each individual can thrive and when I look at these four master musicians and master improvisers it's really you know this this extraordinary conundrum Whereas a composer I really don't think I could write or notate anything that would be better. <laughs> that would be better than what these four musicians could improvise uh, without any direction at all. Afterwards, we'll go to MERS Festival to share that work in Germany, and then we'll be back for a Vision Fest in late June, and uh, the amazing Nava Dunkelman will be joining us on percussion and Jesse Cox will be out of town. So I'm really excited to to share this new uh, iteration of my practice and I'm so grateful as well for Roulette uh, continuing to be a space and a community within which I can be supported and I can be inspired.
0: of the music and creative practice of the artist Eddie Quan, The full performances are available for viewing at roulette.org archive. These recordings have been preserved as a part of the Roulette Concert Archives, a project made possible in part with support from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Grammy Museum. Executive producer for the Roulette Tapes podcast is David Weinstein. I'm Susan James, Thanks for listening. You have been listening to The Roulette Tapes, a program of adventurous music and conversation. This series is produced by Roulette Intermedium. You can find thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's archives and news of upcoming events at roulette.org.